issue with forgiveness is like, I, it goes back to my father, right? My father was really emotionally abusive. You know, he was bipolar. He had to take his medications. And when he didn't, he would explode. And I lived in constant fear of him. And uh, when I started to wake up to my own inability to deal with him, right? Because I would blame him for how he was making me feel. So the day that our relationship changed wasn't when I forgave him. It was when I forgave myself for never seeing him. And then if I could cry now because there's such a beauty in that moment, I can't tell you how beautiful, like, like I never was able to see my dad's incapacity. I never was able to see his, his chemical imbalances and his, and, and that moment transformed me and him and our relationship forever. Hello, I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear no end to the aha moments that help you live with way less fear and a lot more joy. On this podcast, we're going to introduce you to people all over the world who are solving some of the world's most vexing problems, large and small, and they still think the future's bright. Today, we're going to meet Andy Chaliff. Andy is a multiple award-winning author known for his ability to explore the depths of the human experience through storytelling and a great sense of humor. I've been on Andy's podcast. Now he's on mine. I enjoy the heck out of my time with him, and I thought we should tap in to the insights in his new book. Andy released a book in 2020 called The Wounded Healer, which is about his three-month journey across the United States in pursuit of radical self self-love, something we can all up our game on, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and he takes the through line in that book right into his new book, which I have read and absolutely adore. It's called The Connection Playbook. It is sort of like the ultimate relationship manual for anyone who is seeking to forge um, more healthy relationships with a spouse, family members, friends, and, and beyond. If you are consistently finding yourself in repetitive arguments with a spouse or a family member or something, or if you're you know grappling with um, a trauma that either recent or a long, long time ago that seems to infiltrate your relationships, if you're just enduring constant criticism by yourself or others, all those things <laughs> can lead you to some major aha moments in this book. Andy's got this book teed up in a really interesting way. There's 30 exercises there that you can go through with others. And um, I'm telling you, if you just picked one or um, and, and spent some time on a long car ride or curled up with a your favorite beverage with somebody you love, it will open new landscapes for you. So welcome, Andy. Chelef. I, I can't tell you how excited I am to talk to you. You know, I think we seem to connect when I was a guest on your podcast in a sort of yeah. extraordinary way. And I have to tell people that, and, um, that Andy has um, recommended a few great guests who we're going to talk about later to our, my podcast. So, um, so it's just a, a general good feeling of um, some kind of kinship that we have. And I'm, I'm delighted to talk with you about your new book. Yeah, I'm great. I'm, you're the first person I've spoken to after touching the book. So there's a, a great joy in, in celebrating that moment with you. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We had a little pre pre business chatting going on um, right before we started recording and, and, and Andy was just opening the box, <laughs> had just opened the box with all his books in it. And we're going to talk about that in a minute, but let's, I mean, I've, I've introduced in the introduction, I talked to people about the book a little bit and, you know, I, I said, gee, you know, this is the kind of book you can curl up with a glass of wine and work through some stuff with, with folks. Yeah. Or it'd be great. I can imagine uh, my husband and I, we've been together <laughs> since we were 14 years old. I can imagine using this book to make a, we have a 20 hour drive to our family farm from Vermont to Illinois. Man, I could imagine <laughs> holding this book. <laughs> can you imagine? And are you going to read it? Is it? Is there an audio version? Well, the, the, there's the audio version, right? And because of what you're telling me, what happened was, is that I gave the book out and I did the audio version as part of the launch and couples were listening to the sections together and then having these amazing interactions. Mm. So what I ended up doing was rushing to make sure that the audio was in the book. So if you look, so each chapter has a QR code, right? And oh. so that's the QR code. So basically if you just point the phone at the book, 
it'll immediately initiate me speaking the same words as that are in that chapter. And that's why I did it because I wanted there to be a moment where the couple is like, okay, we're going to deal with triggers, but we're going to listen to the content and then reflect together afterwards. Yeah. Okay. All right. This is great. This is great. Okay. So uh, just to tell people, you know, you're, you're starting this podcast um, interview with us talking just as ordinary friends. And that's the way I want this podcast episode to feel because we are, and because Andy's book is so, so it's, it's so relationship oriented and we obviously have a good relationship. So this is what I think about this book. I'm literally probably going to take it on my next drive back to Illinois and Chuck and I'll just drive along and we'll <laughs> great. Now the cook. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you to like feedback some of the conversations after certain chapters. Okay. All right. The the chapter on codependency, like Mm. uh, I need you to be different so that I feel okay. (laughs) Okay. That's going to be a great one because that's another thing. What I thought was interesting about it is if you, if you've got those same, you know, like repeat arguments that you have, which Chuck and I have for 40 years, then this book will get you unstuck. What I found is Andy has some really fresh insights on just so many common things that trip us up in our relationships. And that's what this interview is about. And that's the first question I want to ask you. Yeah. You know, there's countless books written about relationships, but this book seems to be about something different. And I want you to talk to us about what I think is different about it. It's about more about patterns. Yeah. I'll show you one. Here's the book and the book cover, right? And here's okay. like an image. And, and you know, here's just sort of gives you an idea, right? There's the, okay. the, so basically what I'm trying to show and help people understand is they're part of a dynamic. And, and a lot of times people like to uh, say, hey, I'm this way because of you. <laughs> I'm this way because of you. And the humor is that one doesn't see that once they're triggered, and then they react with uh, defensiveness or, or accusation that they're creating a dynamic which they that individuals can no longer see they're part of. So, and, and and some of the humor is is that we'll sometimes be creating more of the other person needing to be defensive towards us, and then blame them for that defensiveness. That's it. That's it. That's exactly okay. I'm getting a pen. <laughs> So if people see me, you know, writing, looking down, it's not, I'm working on my, it's not that I'm working my grocery list. Yeah. Um, I'm going to make some little points, uh, a little notes here as we go along so that people can go to the goodness exchange where this, where a full article will be written about this interview and you can just, uh, there'll be the sh- really extensive, lovely sh- show notes. And um, there you can tap into any of these points or, or know what chapter Andy's going to talk about, because I'm going to even ask him to to tell us what chapter you can go to, because that's the way this book is laid out is like my problem is not so bad. We're not so bad over here, my husband and I, but we got this one still for 40 years. And so I, I think that this is a really good book that people can use. And by the way, we're just talking about couples here, you and I so far, but this could be this could be, let's say you you have a, a child that you want to have more productive yeah. relationships for, uh, you know, I I'd say anybody that you have to spend a significant amount of time with, you've got to figure out a way forward yeah. that doesn't drive both of you insane. And that was part of my, what I desired for the book was that it wasn't going to be only limited to uh, couples like romantic couples. So even this book is going to be given out to, I'll be doing um, workshops at, at Under Armour in a few weeks. And this book is just offered to all the people at the company because in wow. a way the people it's wellness month. So in the, they're offering it as part of their wellness month. And then I'll come in and then I'll support people who've read through the chapters in the book. But um, the, the, I guess the, the point being is that when you look at like taking responsibility, which is what one of the chapters uh, self agency, right? When I take agency back, when I take response or mm-hmm. take responsibility, Mm-hmm. For my interactions, what you'll see is that that translates into all aspects of your life. You're not just taking responsibility to your wife mm-hmm. or your child, but it's also people in the office. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's, a, that's a big step. And I, I'd also suggest most people don't make that step in their lives. There's one sentence in the book where I write, like, it was like a moment when I saw that the commonality in all my failed relationships was me. 
and and that 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 sitting with that reality and and, and not moving away from it but and creating a story about the other like that was a real moment in my life where life changed so yeah quite significantly that is a is a tremendous insight i tell people to find their role in every problem they have yeah like it, unless somebody you're simply parked at a stoplight and somebody rear-ends you from behind i mean there's no almost no way you had any role in that but for almost every other complexity in our lives if we first start there, if we just first start there, like what was my role in that thing? Then yeah. yes, other people have a role too and all that stuff, but we can just grow and grow and grow and grow and grow our way right out of repeat tra- traumas and and, yeah. and friction and dramas if we at least find our role in every problem. Talk to us about yeah. that aspect of the book because I found that is a through line as well. Yeah, it is a through line. And, it, and it's interesting because as you say that my mind, uh, how my mind works is always in a little bit of a, what are the conditions necessary for that to be achieved? So I'm always looking one step before that. So it's like, what are the, and I think one of the, like the primary conditions is that we don't default to blame. Because as soon as I have an experience and then I search out, like you'll have friends and the, something bad happens and then you'll laugh. There'll be certain friends that say, okay, how are we going to deal with this? Like what, what's, and they'll be like, who made this happen? Who's responsible for this? You know, like, like the accountability of it, like, like let's go back and make sure that somebody's held accountable for this thing that happened. And, and what you'll notice in that accountability, like, the emotions of everyone shut down. They get anxious. They get fearful. No one wants to share the vulnerability at that moment because they feel like now they're going to be having to take on the accusations or maybe even implications of the accusation. So maybe it was wrong, but it was a mistake. But if I admit to it being wrong, now you're forcing me to admit to all your assumptions that 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 whatever those might be. Yeah. So and that, you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of this in, in the workplace, right? Like right oh, there. Yeah. I mean, oh sure. It happens around our kitchen every day after work, you know, and every that's complicated enough in our families, but right there, what you talked about, I can see an opening for, um, for work, work teams to, to use this book in some ways, because that's exactly what happens in a work team. If you want to just sort out some terrible thing that happened yesterday at work that we disappointed a client or whatever, you know, everybody rushes to blame, find somebody to blame. Yep. But what if we just all acknowledged our role in the mess up? And we probably yeah. all had some little part of it because that's how things are. It's always the perfect storm. Yeah, I, I, I would even see even taking the role in the mess up still will trigger some level of defensiveness. So I would want to hold it more in a weird wondrous space. Like, oh. what is it that that like that we weren't seeing? What do we see the assumptions we were making? So it's almost like turning it into a learning opportunity instead of forcing any single individual to think, okay, that was my role in it. And, and it's this wonderment, which I miss in so much. And, and, it, and it happens so quickly because even if we use the word role, there has a slight implication that somebody has to take responsibility for whatever happened. And I, I want really to say, wow, there's a paradigm which is far different, which just says things happen. And now we have this credible opportunity to kind of check in with what what really were we missing or what what can we learn? And if you hold that space, things will figure themselves out. People will say, oh, my God, I screwed up. But you don't get there by trying to get them to say it. You get there by giving them no reason to feel uncomfortable fully owning whatever it is they feel like they need to own. Andy, this is huge. I I. Um, we create, just want to tell people that we create um, small excerpts from all these episodes where there's like a real learning moment. And I'm going to make sure that our producers create a little section from this, this part right now, because I think it's a, it's probably a chief um, source of friction in work groups and families, you know, have you ever been around a family um, and you're out maybe doing something fun and something happens between the teenager and the parents, and then the parents just want to want to go for accountability right there in the moment in front of you. It's so embarrassing, (laughs) but I think you're right. There's no way we're inviting any kind of sense of collaboration in what went wrong. We're just, (laughs) 
we're just yeah. pinning people to the wall. It's just that yeah. is such a great. Yeah, I love the angle of wonder. You want to talk yeah. to us about wonder? I, I, any other aspects of wonder that well, you I find mean, in I the was, book? I, I was well. I was going to go to a specific story on this because on the weekend, yes, two week, two weekends past, I have a friend whose family. They're from the mid mid Midwest uh, of the U.S. A little bit more, call it more conservative. So the parents are always trying to draw up conversations with their kids, and the kids aren't responding to them. You know, any conversation about girl. We're talking, you know, first year in college, and you know, last year in in, in high school sort of range. And and I I've been around the family because I, I think you you know you I have a bit of a strange coaching practice, and that. There's no separation. So when I work with somebody, I go and stay at their home. We deal with the children. We deal with the death of a loved one. I mean, there's no boundary. And, and that's sort of, so I'm part of their family. Um, but when they show up here, which they did, and then we have our barbecue, like the, the questions are all like very, hey, what's going on with the boyfriend? Like, and, and they would never respond to the parent this like openly because they feel anxious that the parent is going to come with some assumption or some statement or, but when I'm there, they're just, you know, they're bubbly sharing talk and the parents are looking at me like I didn't know any of this ever, you know, and, yes. and, and, and the reason, and, and the kids will smile and they'll laugh and, and, and Ronnie will say to me, cause she'll watch this dynamic and she'll say, Andy, it's almost like you're a child with them. Like you're really experiencing the joy of first dating and the and the frustration of whatever it is that happens yeah. when you're first. And they can see it clearly in my eyes. There's not someone asking them to um, to put them on the spot, to give them advice. There's just someone actually really wanting to feel and see and understand. And there's there's something that one doesn't understand is the intention. And that's a big, big part of the book as well as the the intention that you ask a question is felt so deeply by the other that they will respond differently if the intention is 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 sort of more trying to get you to hold accountability or really wonder. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. The the intention. I've been um talking to um people about that lately, about how I hold my temper in in circumstances that that maybe you just want to lose it. Yeah. <laughs> And I try and I think that we all have antennas for intention. Yeah. I think that's what you're talking about. There's like these really subtle little things that we are hardwired probably from 35,000 years ago to pick up on the nuances of intention. Think yes. how important that was back in the caveman days, right? So yeah. these are in us. We have it. We're not, we can't walk away from it and yeah. we're using them every minute. And if we, well, if we, if we say that exists, then um, what if we use that to diffuse situations? What if we said, oh, I can feel their intention is actually quite a lot better than their question. <laughs> yeah, I do it all the time. You know, like I, I, I hear your question and also the intention behind it. And then we can discuss that or I can take it as a good intention and a answer it accordingly. Um, right. But yeah. But one, two, two good, there's a lot of chapters in here, which I address this, which I read one of them, which was, so when we ask questions of another, there's often, we don't realize that the intention with which we ask the question will generate, of course, the response, like I mentioned prior. Mm -hmm. So one of the, um, one of the exercises is you ask the same question with four different intonations. You know, the light and detached, hey, how are you? Or the strong and direct, how are you? Or the, the little bit soft and gentle, like, how are you? Or the compassionate, like, how are you? And, and if you ask that compassion, I, even now I can feel emotions come up in me as I ask you the, how are you? Like that question, like, will put someone in tears where the exact same words with a different intention will be, like, oh, I'm going to respond so superficially that we'd never get to have any intimacy in our connection. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm never going to be able to ask that question of anybody without thinking of that. Okay. And this is the way it's going to go for the rest of this interview. Andy has some insights like this that are so, so nuanced and yet so simple that we can remember to bring them up, to summon them at dinner mm -hmm. tonight. <laughs>
and tomorrow and tomorrow and the day after that. So let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about more and more of these insights, as many as we can pull into this interview. And then you just, I, I, I recommend the book highly. I read it and I read a lot, but I do have to choose. <laughs> so let's take a break. You know how the constant negative noise in our digital lives feels like it's reaching a boiling point? Now, many of us have tuned out the news and social media almost entirely. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. There are newsworthy stories about amazing progress, innovation, leaps in human potential, and wonders in the natural world, and they're just not reaching the top of our feeds. We can have access to this, but none of us has the time or maybe even the emotional stamina to search through all the doom and gloom news to find what's right with the world. Okay, enter the goodness exchange. There, we are giving instant access to positive news for curious people. Did you hear about the recent Harvard study that found that exposure to just four minutes of good news can make you 32% less anxious and 18% more optimistic? Well, I don't know about you, but I need those kind of numbers in my life. So if you want to live with more joy and way less fear, it's really simple. First, you join us at the Goodness Exchange. Our subscription model is a pay-what-you-can model so that everyone around the world has the opportunity to access this kind of content. And we promise no politics and no ads for about a decade, so you're safe from all that distraction as well. Second, you allow this new, more positive, balanced worldview to put a spring in your step again. It can change the way you react to your kids, your coworkers, everybody you come in contact with. And the stories we write about can make you the idea person in your circles. These challenging times call for us to wake up and take control of our perspective. The people who use the Goodness Exchange have the ability to react to the harshness of the world much different because they know way more about what's right with the world. And that's a resource. So subscribe to The Goodness Exchange, our YouTube channel and the podcast, and use this content to live a more expansive worldview. It is still an amazing world out there and you can be a part of it. Welcome to The Conspiracy of Goodness. Okay, we're back um, with Andy Chelef. I'm telling you, I'm very excited about the little nuanced improvements that Andy's book can help us all make, you know, um, in our geez, everyday conversations with anybody we love, but especially if we're trying to make progress and get unstuck in some relationships that are really important to us. So here, here's one that just would resonate with, with um, me so much. In my family, we seem to have a problem with, I'm sorry. <laughs> It's just, I, I think a lot of, a lot of folks have problems with, I'm sorry. Now you've got the folks who just apologize liberally yeah. and frequently and, and so regularly that it almost like the bright boy that cried wolf yeah. because you just know they're going to apologize so quick and they don't really mean it. Or the person that could just make things so much better if they just quickly realized that things went the wrong way and apologize and then it would all be over. So there's somewhere in between talk to us about, you call it the sorry opportunities what yeah. chapter is that well in? <laughs> the, the chapter i don't know what the chapter number is but the way you're presenting the sorry opportunities are a little bit different than the intention oh, of okay. that chapter okay. which is fine um the intent well first i'll say the intention of that chapter is that what what i find happens a lot uh, is that people assume when they when like they lose a opportunity mm -hmm. or they um uh lose a business deal or, or they send out a really bad email by accident, not intending to send it to the person. Like what I've noticed is that people will all of a sudden shut down all their creativity and think, oh, I screwed this up. This is bad. I don't know what I'm going to do now. And, and what I do in those moments, I'm like, oh, wow, this is the moment that I can use to create what I actually want. So I can actually shift the dynamic. So yesterday, a colleague of mine, who read the book, the client said to them that, I'm sorry, you don't have the business. And he wrote back and said, you know, thank you for the time. You know, if there's anything you can guide me next time so that I can understand what I need to change. So you would, you know, choose me instead, please let me know. Cause it's really helpful. And they really appreciated the email, which he wrote because he said, okay, this is what uh -huh. I'm getting out of the book. And he got the job. They said, you know what? 
um, actually the person that we were interacting with, we're not so sure about, and there's something about you and how you're showing up that we really appreciate. So we're going to go with you now. So that for me is what would be the, the intention of the chapter is that's the sorry opportunity. And now you're saying something different. I always say like, I'm a tuning fork. That's how I experience myself. And if I'm not grounded, then I'm not going to be picking up signals. Well, I won't be hearing the resonance of what's going on around me. And the tuning fork, when someone says, I'm sorry, all the time for me is, is a sense of a deep insecurity. Like I've always had to apologize. And, and, and if I were to project it out, I'd see a parent who is never accepting of the child when they always had to say to the parent, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And, um, and so for me, like I allow that to sink in. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm two sides around this. I allow it to come in. I don't want to tell a story. I don't want to believe I know or understand their lives. But I also have to say, when I have been that way in my own life, it was because I was insecure. So I use myself as the measure, not judgment of another, but like, wow, that's how I experience myself when I'm really insecure. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. It's almost like, it's like, I always feel behind. I always feel like there's something that I need to prove or show or demonstrate. And I never feel like I'm doing a good enough job or I always could do better. And that's okay, when and you then, see that. And then also there's the, oh, you just made me think of another example is the person that causes some huge kerfuffle and yeah. then is really, really quick to apologize. Like, and then think everything should be all better, but then they'll go and cause another kerfuffle tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I had that. That would have been a month ago conversation when I had between the couple and, and, um, oh, it was, it, it was the couple was father and a daughter and the father, uh, did something that was sort of in the daughter's eyes, egregious. And the father kept saying, oh, I'm sorry, you know, and then, and then, and then, as you say, hoping that it would go away. And then I laughingly said, no, I need you to stop. I need you to like, turn your, turn your daughter towards you. Look at her in the eyes. And I want you now to say, I'm sorry and feel the words as you. And so then they both cried. Oh, so the, the difference was, it was a throwaway comment, which the other didn't have any sense that they were connected to the words. And the other was a moment that shifted their dynamic incredibly because they were in it. He got to see her eyes of the pain that he unintentionally, right? We don't know blame, but it was a consequence that created. Yeah. And then she got to see her father respond to that, finally seeing the pain that he didn't acknowledge. And then they got to have that moment. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that, that moment gets lost so many times. Right. Oh, yeah. this is huge. Okay. I, I want to get through a number of these because you've got such great insights on so many little things. Talk yeah. to us about forgiveness, this yeah. um, important wrinkle in our, in our relationships. It can be the difference between having a, a relationship overall feel additive and an, a relationship feel subtractive in our lives. Yeah. It's weird. I have a very, I'd have a, I'd say I have a strange relationship with forgiveness. Because mm -hmm. I, I I really do feel like forgiveness is me still shouldering a burden and then acting as if it's not a problem anymore. It's like you did this to me. And because you did this to me, I've suffered. And now what I'm going to do is I'm going to forgive you for doing this to me. So so there's a if you hear all my words, you you you, you feel this undercurrent of. It's always been about you, and now I'm forgiving you. You hear the strong, you know, you, you, you thing going on. And so my issue with forgiveness is like, I, it goes back to my father, right? My father was really emotionally abusive. So my whole life, you know, he was bipolar. He had to take his medications, and when he didn't, he would explode. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I lived in constant fear of him. And, and uh, when I started to wake up, to my own inability to deal with him, right? Because I would blame him for how he was making me feel. So the day that our relationship changed wasn't when I forgave him. It was when I forgave myself for never seeing him. 
And then if I could cry now, because there's such a beauty in that moment, I can't tell you how beautiful, like, like I never was able to see my dad's incapacity. I never was able to see his, his chemical imbalances and his, and, and that moment transformed me and him and our relationship forever. That's huge. That's really yeah. huge because no one comes to us without baggage. I mean, I always say, um, you know, in the office, uh, we have a, my husband and I have had a large dental practice that's very relationship oriented for 30 years. And, and we try and love first, find something to celebrate with every single patient, take our time through these and, and with all our energy to meet people where they're at, there's always the crabby person or the person yeah. who's, I don't know, whatever. And um, that's one of the things that I learned to do quite early to be able to pull off the and really mean it, the kind of compassion that we need to have in our professional yeah. lives. If you're in healthcare is I, I learned to really recognize that somebody doesn't act this nuts unless they are seriously broken themselves. Yeah. Right. So every one of us is carrying a burden, but some people carry it better than others. Like, what if we just looked at that person that's making us a little insane and say, well, gosh, what happened to them when they were five? Yeah. What did they and that's, see? And that's love. That's the, that for me is like the quintessential love. It's the love that makes my wife, my wife Ronnie, crazy. Because she'd be like, how can you love that person? Like, how can you treat them? Like, they're speaking badly about you. They're actually doing really bad stuff. And I'll say, baby, they're suffering. Yeah. You know, she'll say, yeah, yeah, but they're suffering. But they're actually just, you know, and so she'll get wrapped into that idea that there are bad people, you know, in, in, right. in, in, a, in a general way. And I'll laugh and I say, baby, no, there's not bad people. Everyone is good. They do bad things. Mm, yeah. And yes. those bad things are not necessarily intended. And, and, and sometimes they're not able to see the consequences of those things. And when I say that, I also have to put the caveat because a lot of people don't quite get this. That doesn't mean that people aren't held accountable for their actions. It's not that people are not held responsible for what they do. That, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is my state of mind stays in compassion into the situation. And that doesn't mean that I self-sacrifice or that I take on the burden. None of that. It just means I stay compassionate to them and there are still consequences. Yeah. Okay. Is this really close to this other subject that I love in the book about um, knowing when to disconnect? Yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> was, that was a biggie. That. <laughs> I okay. saw, someone said, because the last four chapters were kind of funny. The whole book is about connection. And then the last four chapters are the warnings around connection. It's like careful, dangerous. You know, I, I, what, what I see happen is that uh, people will use connection as a means of sometimes manipulation. There are certain people we need to just disconnect from because of whatever reasons, where we are, where they are, we go through a growth spurt in our own personal development. And we see, well, that relationship no longer serves us. Um, and so those are the kind of the moments where I realized I need to address them in a very clear fashion because the danger would be if one has this false belief that connection is what they should have and then go into dysfunctional relationships where they stay way too long and then think, oh, but I'm, if I just spend a bit more time, if I'm just a little bit kinder to this person, if I'm just a little bit uh, more compassionate or whatever the words would be. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes. So I have a funny story to tell. In our office, we've always had a be nice letter. Uh -huh. So we'll stay compassionate, compassionate, compassionate with patients who are just, oh, they just are just, oh, whatever. They make us, they, they just aren't accepting all the love that comes from this huge staff that we have. And yeah. then we've just got, we've just got a disconnect point. So something will go on and we just say, and it's, and we send people a be nice letter. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh goodness, every time you come in, it seems like we disappoint and disappoint and disappoint. Yeah. You know, it's so hard on my team to constantly work with someone who doesn't want to be here and is so very obviously disappointed in us. So yeah. gosh, we either need you to love us back a little bit, or maybe there's a better dentist yeah. office for you. It's a great, so, it's a great, a great be nice letter. Every, everyone should have be nice letters in their lives, you know? 
Yeah. Well, like just meet me halfway is pro- is what I'm asking. Um, so is there a way? So tell us, tell me that. Okay. So let's say, um, let's say you tried and tried and tried with your crabby neighbor to make it work. Yeah. Short of building the big fence and marching your boundaries or whatever, or, or I don't know, pick, tell me a story. Like, how do you disconnect with grace? Cause that's a thing. We want to keep some form of ease between us in there. Um, because we will have to interact if it's somebody you have to interact with. But how do we well, disconnect well, with Grace? So, so the way you wrote that letter is actually exactly what I would I would say is the best way to uh, to create the conditions for the greatest likelihood it won't go bad. And that's all you're doing. Like sometimes, you know, when you separate from a person, you have no chance. And, and the humor is is that when you separate and it goes really bad. You almost delayed the separation because you wanted to delay it going really bad. So it's it's like it's like the, 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 sometimes there's no way out of it, and and we just we're like, oh, we could have done it better, or we could have this. No, exactly the reason they are that way is why you're separating from them, and now you see the consequences which you wanted to avoid, which is so common for for everyone. Um, but getting back, but to we the, don't oh, we ahead. don't get to separate for our, from our mother-in-law. You know, I can send this be nice letter to a patient, but I got to get along with well, my mother-in-law. I, I don't get know along about with... that. That that I don't know. Sorry to interrupt you on that one, because no, I deal with ahead. this a lot. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, I'm sure I'm just full of limiting beliefs, and that's no, 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 but... <laughs> that's why I found the the book of the books are revealing because you were ticking off a bunch of my li- limiting beliefs. So, like, like let's say with your mother-in-law, and we don't know any. The the best is I know nothing, so I can I can create a narrative, and we can walk. Well, I'm kind of making that up. My mother-in-law has passed uh, quite a long time ago, but but it's a common problem. People have to. Yeah. Okay. The 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 thing that I see is that normally, and there's a great chapter on this, by the way, as well. Uh, uh, it's called uh, handling, and then in quotes, difficult discussions. Okay. And I put them in quotes. And I, the reason why I put them in quotes is because by us creating and saying it's a difficult discussion, what we're actually doing is we're priming ourselves for a bad interaction. So we don't even see that we created the bad interaction through the intention that we were unaware of in ourselves. And, and what, what I'll often do in those moments is I'll say it's a possible no match discussion. It, it, it will be possible that we don't match what you need and what I need or what we need as an organization just aren't going to match, but we don't know that. So let's have that discussion without the, this is going to be rough. That person does this because when we do that, we make it very personal before we begin. And we were talking about the nuances that people feel. They feel that. I mean, they really feel that on a very, very visceral level. We don't know they do, but they do. And so that that's what we're trying to slow down. And then we go back to the discussion with the mother-in-law, the boss, the husband or wife, and it becomes a very interesting way of interacting because what happens is, so now I don't know if it's going to work out, but what happens is they don't, I give you an example. Here's a, here's a good one. I, I have to change some of the language because, uh, but you know, I, I mentioned again about my father, right? Yes. And so my father and my mother got divorced when I was 10. And my father really would speak horribly about my mother. Like, I, don't, I can't use the words, but imagine the worst word you could come up with. Mm-hmm. And he would use that regularly with, about her when I was with him. And, and what happened was, was I would get in fights with him where we wouldn't talk for maybe a year, two years, three years. You know, the longest stint was 10 years. Um, but what would happen is I would get triggered. He'd say, your mom is the, mm-hmm. you know, usually it was the C word. And then, bang, I was off to the races. And so now that trigger and my response was the kind of the pattern that we talked about earlier. And I'd be in that pattern always. What happened was when I told you about me finding the compassion in myself to forgive myself, I could be with him in the same discussion, wholly different. So he, after we went this, he did the same thing. It was very funny. I was with him. I hadn't seen him for 10 years. And then one of the first things he says is your mom was a C-word. And I looked at him. And so what would have normally been a fight, I said, wow, you know, she died, you know, what, uh, 20, 30 years ago? Like, what's going on with you? Right. I went back to the, he started to cry. 
So he started to cry. So we went from what was always an argument to crying from him to, because he never felt like anyone ever was there for his pain because he was suffering and the suffering came out in this, this weird contorted speaking poorly about my mom. And I, instead of allowing any space behind it, I would judge his words and not allow the space for him to heal. And that was when his healing happened between the two of us. So it's such a great story. And I know it's a powerful metaphor for a lot of the kind of those, those struggling, stubborn conversations. My husband and I, sometimes I feel like we could just hit the, hit the play button on a recorder, walk away, go do something. And the same exact argument would happen. But now you're making me see that there's probably some, um, some way I'm going to thank you for this. I, I, next time, we're there, whatever, <laughs> whatever comes up, I'm going to really remember this moment. And I hope my, our listeners do too. And just, what if you just took a different tack and you went, you know, you, you did a great, you, you did a great different tack there. Like, wow, mom died 20 years ago. Why are we still here? Right. Yeah. Like, I, I would like for you to take it one more step. Right. Okay. I'd like for the, where you are judging him, maybe not even aware okay. of or where you're getting triggered. I'm definitely doing that. Yes. Instead of the trigger, I want you to compliment him on whatever it is you're judging him for. Okay. This is okay. I got to think about that more. Is there a chapter for that? Uh, on that one, I didn't use that as a tool, but I like it because <laughs> what I would do, the, the challenge would be, let's say that they're really stubborn on an idea. Like they, they hold an idea of truth. This is the way it is, you know, like, and we would say, no, it isn't. And why are you being like this? And it isn't that way. Instead of going down that path, you go down that, you know, I love how strong you can be in moments, like how you really stick to like what you really feel deep inside of you. And I really admire that. I can do that. I can do that. I just have to yeah. have the presence of mind to practice something. I, you know, I do a lot of public speaking and I talk about the power of the pause. Oh yeah. I have a whole talk I give on that. <laughs> yep. Myself, you know, we go down these toboggan runs so easy uh, yeah. with others, right? And like just pause for two seconds and yeah. you can avoid a world of pain. A world. There was a one world. chapter, two of seconds. course, on only silence in the chapter. It's just, just and it just it just says just shut up, <laughs> just shut up, just shut your mouth, just let it let it unfold. Don't, don't fill the space, just let it unfold. That is so great. Okay, I got to talk to you about a few other things as we wrap mm. up. Okay, so we're obviously really really close to this topic that no one ever heard the word trigger six eight years ago ten. Oh really? Oh, okay, wow. now ordin- I'm talking about ordinary everyday people like me. I'm sure. <laughs> In professional circles, we've been talking about triggers for 50 years or more, I'm sure. But I'm just I'm just saying it's become part of the zeitgeist conversation. Oh, boy, he always triggers me when or whatever. Oh, yeah. That is new. That That is new way of thinking about, okay, I think it's positive in that it, it it's a way of turning the mirror on ourselves because we're yeah. saying I was triggered when. It still has a little blame going on in it. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> But, um, you know, we could spend a whole entire hour and maybe we will someday on triggers, but you know, here's something that you, that you say that I really, really want to have a chance to talk about here before we wrap up this insight blew me away is again, is simple. It's related to the whole odd topic of triggers. You encourage us to dive into this concept. I'm reading over here from a comment I made. Uh, I will not make others responsible for what I'm feeling. Yeah. Wow. Like just, just sit on that. I will not make others responsible for what I'm feeling. I yeah. mean, all day long, that's what we do, right? Everybody's responsible for sending us like a pin, like a yeah. pinball through our days, but that's not really true. Is it? Yeah. That's the funny thing. It's a, it's, I, w- I would almost say it's a paradigm, right? It's how do I experience the world? My wife and I had a big discussion this morning and, um, and, we couldn't be any different to one another. She's in finance. She's analytical. Every decision is thought out, clearly understood, no risk, risk mitigation, you know, and, and I'm just like, I'm kind of like a butterfly, like, oh, it smells nice. Let's float over here. And this feels right. It feels right. You don't, you know, so, so we have a very different way. And, 
And so when she was trying to share something with me this morning that that this is this way, I think we were talking about poverty. Poverty just is that. It isn't in, in, in a way good or it isn't, you know, no one would want that. And and I had to slow everything down and say, honey, like like the way we look at things through the lens we see it defines how we experience it. So so I will experience the same thing you will experience very different because of the lens that I look at that situation through. Right. When I when I um when I kind of decided to re- change my life, I was the director of a computer company, did successfully financially, and it was really at like uh, kind of the pinnacle of whatever one might say, that's a very successful life. And and I sold everything I owned and I went and lived in this attic that didn't have water or electricity or it wasn't even that night. It was damp, right? It was just an attic space in Amsterdam. And I was in heaven, Linda. Like, I can't say, like, I was free. I, I felt that, that like, high schoolish, that feeling of, like, wow, you know, uh, like, I just feel like I've got all of this, like, opportunity and potential and unlimited, unlimited grant. So what I didn't see is that everything I built up to that moment, which, which appeared to be, like, building a foundation or getting a house or getting a car and the mortgage was actually now the golden handcuff. And and so I tried to explain to her that is that you might see such a situation as really uh, bad and negative, and I experienced it as like freedom, and 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 it would be in in a way it's funny because even discussions it would be even a little bit arrogant for you then to tell me how I should have experienced that. Like I get to have my experience and you get to have your experience, but we don't get to tell each other how we should be experiencing things. Now that and that's what we do to our teenagers every minute. Our college kids, our yeah. newly graduated. We we're oh my gosh, this yeah. is huge. Okay, we can't possibly. This is the tip of the iceberg. Our conversation here. We will have to have another conversation because I enjoy chatting with you so much. We can start. Maybe we'll just go through the chapters and we'll record something <laughs> yeah. about. By the way, I'm putting the book up. This is it. The it, the connection yeah. playbook. Beautiful cover. Yeah, this it's is a my very, pride and joy. <laughs> very relatable. And I tell you, I think that if we just had a fraction of the insights in that book, like the 1% better every day thing going on, yeah. that, that, that book could be something that, it, uh, that helps us be 1% better every day, which I, is a concept mm-hmm. I love. Okay. Before we go here, you know, I always ask people, if this interview had been just three minutes, so there was a time when I wrote my book and I was getting interviewed yeah. on WGN and Houston and all the things. And I had three minutes. I'm telling you, it was the most excruciating time in my whole life. I had three minutes to summarize the entire book or just put out what my best piece of insight was about there being a really actually positive world out there. Mm. <laughs> and it was hard. But I already gave you this question ahead of time. So what do you really wish people knew? If you had only had three minutes, um, what do you really p- wish people knew? And this is hard. This goes to the core and it feels even uncomfortable to say this. And, and it feels cliched, which is why it, what makes it uncomfortable. But the more one gets close to their own incapacity, their own incapabilities, the more they see that there really is just love underneath it all. And if I can love the most painful parts of myself, I can love the most painful parts of everybody else. And if I can't love those parts in me, I'm never going to be able to have space to love that in another. Somehow fear factors into this somewhere, right? Like fear of loss, fear of validation or the opposite of that or all that. So it's always a choice between fear and love, isn't it? You know, uh, it feels like it feels like such a broad brush. So in, in some level, I'd say yes, but. I would say there's a, such a patterning of what we've become to find either acceptable or right or wrong that in some of the acceptance of ourselves, we have to let go of certain beliefs that we might have. And those beliefs hold us so tightly that yes. to let go of them is like a death. It's like a little death. Mm-hmm. And, and if we're really honest with ourselves, then if we're going through a journey of call it any sort of self-realization, what's going to happen is parts of us will die before we actually die. Mm-hmm. And letting those parts go is so, so painful. 
you know, so painful because those parts created us. They, they made us who we are. They made us uh, feel good about who we are. And now we have to say they made us feel good, but they no longer serve us. Yeah. That's it. That's how I, I, uh, am I right in summarizing uh, uh, some of what you just said? There's so much there, but that I, I'm always talking about the sustainability with folks. Very often, a lot of the people I'm interviewing are talking about sustainability. And I think the way we turn the corner on sustainability is we stop talking about the loss, what we have to give up. We have to turn our light towards what a sustainable lifestyle will add to our lives, what, what yeah. we are going to. And I yes. think that's that that's the way I take part of your point there is that if we just keep holding on to limiting beliefs that served us way back when, but clearly do not serve us now. <laughs> yeah. And that, that, we that can move towards love. And that that's part of there's a there's a, a chapter as well that, that there's an exercise. I don't know if you remember called the lens of love and the lens of yes. love exercise was take the same situation. And instead of seeing it through the, the eyes of the judgment view it through the lens of love and, and, and the way in the wording and everything you see and how you see it is so different. And you'll see naturally, just like my father, you know, whatever I would have reacted to his negative comments about my mom, when I turned it through the lens of love, that shifted obviously everything in my life, not just the relationship with him, of course, but everything. Yeah. Ah, that's beautiful. And that's a great way to, to pause here. And I'm going to call it a pause because I think we got to pick this conversation up again sometime. Yeah. Um, and we will. So thank you, Andy, uh, Chelef, hold up the book one more time so people can see the connection playbook, C H A L E F F. If yeah. you want to get it on Amazon, I tell you what we're talking about here is so often what, what we've been pointing to at the goodness exchange for 10 years now is that there is a world full of people with fresh insights that can help us make a leap to a better future that serves everyone. Because you're not just talking about making life better for individuals. You know, if, if we get along better, then our kids have better lives. Then the, our teachers, our kids' teachers have better lives because we're not walking in all crabby. I mean, this all this stuff that you're talking about goes out in ever-widening circles. So thank you very, very much. Um, I hope that, that you join us at the Goodness Exchange and at other episodes at the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. And, um, you know, start seeking what's right with the world because we've got to care as much about our worldview as we do about our abs. <laughs> that's my new, that's my new line. You know, everybody's <laughs> riding away on their Peloton or all the, the things that are going on in the world that yeah. are about our physical selves. But I think that you've got the key to this future where we, we where we're going for human 2.0, where we stop falling our emotions over a cliff. We start being thoughtful and we start using some fresh ideas like you've introduced to get us to the relationships we want to have. So thank you. Thank you. Okay. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you next week on Wednesday for another episode of the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. And join us at the Goodness Exchange for so much more information about Andy and the book and all kinds of show notes that'll fill you full of stuff to put a spring in your step. Have a great day.